Have you ever gone down an internet rabbit hole finding yourself reading countless stories and tales that send shivers down your spine? Or perhaps have you read these weird urban legends or myths found on the internet that revolve around maybe your favorite video games or music or movies and wonder to yourself, is there any validity? Where did this come from? Who wrote this? Who came up with this stupid idea? Who, who said that? Why? Well then, you have come to the right place. My name is Ken Zally, and I'm welcoming you to the Strange Collective. The year is 1996, and the Pokemon games had just released in Japan. Pocket Monsters if you're in Japan, Pokemon if you're everywhere else pretty much, just because of localization. You know, keep things simple, right? As time goes on with these games, discussions begin on Cerebi, which is a Pokemon website, uh, basically a one-stop shop for all your Pokemon needs, and also on NintendoWorlds.net, which is an old Nintendo forum. Uh, these discussions were surrounding just how creepy the music in Lavender Town was. Now, discussions just kind of stayed there for a while. Uh, it was really just simple stuff. Hey, this, this song's creepy. Ooh, spooky. Nothing too insane. But as time goes on and as the internet works, this concept of just how creepy the music was in Lavender Town evolved into a story of sorts that involved weird cartridges during the original run of the game, children apparently committing suicide. It's not good. It's not good for anybody. Thankfully, it's a load of baloney. It's a load of shit, which is a good thing. I mean, let's be real. Nobody wants dead kids on our hands. Uh, would it have made for an interesting story and the inevitable Hollywood film that is unnecessary surrounding these events? Yeah, sure, that would have been cool, I guess. But we don't really need another cash grab, and let's be real, less dead people's good. So, basically the first version of the Creepypasta, which for anybody who's unaware, Creepypasta is a site where users can submit text-based stories that are, I mean, as the website name kind of implies, creepy in nature. And honestly, I'm probably going to, you know, dive into some creepy pastas at some point in the future. We're going to dive into more. Whether or not there's any validity to any of these stories is a whole other thing. But we'll talk about some of them, whether or not they're, you know, revolving around video games or the like. So anyway, the first version was uploaded to Pastebin which is a site for users to also post plain text or source code snippets. And this was posted February 21st, 2010. Basically, the claim was that after the first few days of release for Pokemon Red and Green in Japan, there were over 100 suicides among children aged 10 to 15. A detective concluded that the music played in Lavender Town was driving children to kill themselves due to a secret code in 104 of the original cartridges. So right off the bat, I mean, it sounds kind of bonkers. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. It does surprise me to this day that there are people who question, oh, is this real? Is this, a, is this an actual thing? Basically what you're implying is that this is some kind of weird 
Captain America Winter Soldier uh, sleeper agent thing that is activated through sounds in a video game to cause children to harm themselves. I mean, the idea of that is kind of wacky. We're not living in a comic book. We're not living in a sci-fi film. Sure, does weird stuff happen in the universe? Absolutely. But, I mean, this just automatically sounds absolutely crazy. So, basically, this version of the story was mentioned on 4chan's Paranormal Board as early as March 3rd, 2010, with a shorter, modified version uploaded to the same board a week later. Several variations of the original quote-unquote pasta, which makes me really, really want some chicken alfredo. Anybody else? I could really go for some chicken alfredo. It's a good pasta. Uh, anyway, so several variations of the original pasta were uploaded to Image Shack, which is another, it's a sub-based image hosting site. The story was also uploaded to personal blogs, uh, a pop culture blog named Ricky. Oh, Ricky, you're so fine. Uh, and back to the paste bin between April and July 2010. These other versions range from, quote, scientific studies pulled from a textbook which, that doesn't sound sketchy, sure, uh, to an interview with art director of the games, Satoshi Tahari, claiming that he asked designers to only include the song in the red version. Okay, so hold on. So I'm supposed to believe that the designers were asked to include the song only in one version of the game? Like, that alone just doesn't even make sense. So what are we saying? We're saying that... The Pokemon company was like, hey, you know what? Let's get rid of those kids that are buying the red version. Silly them. Everybody knows you go for the green version in Japan because it's got the Venusaur on the cover. Everybody likes green more than red. It makes no sense. I, I just don't understand why this would even be considered a likely story. It just doesn't make any sense. What would be the justification of putting the song in only one version of the game in the way that it was, but not in the other. By the way, to clarify, the Lavender Town song, that main song that's played when you enter, Lavender Town, surprise, it's found in every Gen 1 game. It's nothing particular to each game. What they're trying to imply is that this version of the song that was causing children to kill themselves was only asked to be added in the red version with the other games having a variation of the song. I just, I can't even begin to unpack that one. That is just absolutely silly. Also, to <laughs> to say that you would interview the art director and that he's going to just openly admit this? Come on, man. This is a massive company. They're not going to admit fault. Get out of here. Well, anyway. About 2010, the copy pasta which is another name for text copied and shared countless times, which if you are a frequenter of Reddit, you are very well aware of just what that looks like. So these copy pastas were discussed on Pokemopolis, a Pokemon forum that sounds like it's from the Greek islands or is a brother to Mykonos, I don't know. The website seems to be not in use anymore, so... Rest in peace, pour one out for the Greek Pokemon site, I guess. So it was shared there and discussed there, as well as multiple video game forums. It was also the same year defined on Urban Dictionary, which, as everybody knows, if it's defined on Urban Dictionary, well then, it's set in stone and is part of our life now. 
In 2011, a version of the story was also added to the Creepypasta Index. Yet again, kind of like the Urban Dictionary situation, basically, it's set in stone now. It's there. It's there to live. To this day, the story is still asked about on Yahoo Answers, Reddit, etc. Now, real quick, what I find funny about the Yahoo Answers part is if you've ever just taken a minute, just a minute, to go on Yahoo Answers and look at some of the questions asked, it is no surprise that this is still asked about on Yahoo Answers whether, about whether or not it's a real thing. I mean, people ask crazy stuff on Yahoo Answers all the time with such hits as how to get pregnant, how do you get YouTube to come film you, how was the routine of milking cows for milk discovered? So it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that people are still like, hey, what's going on with uh, the Pokemon death, uh, the Lavender Town, people dying, what are we doing? Which apparently I just made these people on Yahoo Answers sound like they're from New York. So anyway, later runs of the cartridges did have their music changed due to a high tone that kids could hear but adults could not. Um, the sound layer was removed. There's been a lot of discussions about this. There's been a lot of theories. Oh, is this confirming that this was an actual story? That this was true? That these kids were actually committing suicide? No. No. That's not it at all. Basically what happened was after the Japanese release, they realized, ooh, that is a really harsh sound. You know what we should probably do? Something about it. We should we should probably remove that crappy layer that's causing problems. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. So yeah, it just, this is one of those stories that always cracks me up. Um, I think the story itself is kind of cool in a weird way. It's cool when you realize that it's not true. It's make-believe. It's impossible. It's not, it's not a thing. So while the Lavender Town music suicides turn out to obviously be false and make-believe, they were pretty fun to look further into, see where the origin of it really was, where this all started, and really just get a better, well-rounded idea of the whole uh, urban legend, we'll call it. So with that being said, let's move on to our next topic, which is one that I especially, especially am interested in, uh, just because it mixes a favorite from my childhood and a favorite from my high school years and current years. And I'm, of course, everybody, everybody knows that I'm talking about Kevin from Home Alone possibly being the jigsaw killer so we'll hear more about that after the break all right so let's dive in to the kevin from home alone conspiracy we'll call it uh being the jigsaw killer from the saw franchise i absolutely love 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 this theory now there is a glaring problem and that's the timeline. The timeline would not make any sense. Kevin is a little kid in the 90s, and the Jigsaw Killer is old as hell in the early 2000s. So obviously, you know, you gotta take this whole thing with a grain of salt. It's just kind of like a fun thing, and just to kind of, you know, look at the, the, the comparisons, look at the similarities. It's one of those things where you have to suspend, you know, some disbelief, and I hate to say it, but eh, hey, Ignore the timeline problem, which 
is weird to say, just telling you to just wave away a problem. But hey, you know what? We're here to have fun. So let's get into it. So first off, I want to credit Jason Concepcion. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. Of Grantland.com, he actually wrote an article about this and put together a lot of compelling evidence about how these two unlikely characters are similar in more ways than you'd think. So let's go ahead and start off with some evidence. Throughout Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Kevin shows some serious anger control issues as well as fantasies of violence voyeuristic tendencies with a love of recorded video which real quick yikes sounds a little weird and that's not to knock on anybody who's into voyeurism i'm just coming from the angle that a little kid based on the other evidence surrounding this and this fascination with recording people and we'll get into it later uh the specific incident kind of weird and by kind of weird, I mean it's really weird. So here's a, a further breakdown of some things that tie to that overarching theme of the control issues, his fantasies of violence, etc. He has a fascination with his neighbor, old man Marley, after learning that there is a rumor going around that he's actually a serial killer named the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Which, holy crap. If you're a serial killer and your name is the South Bend Shovel Slayer, woohoo! What a name, man. That is a name. Get that on a t-shirt. Get that ironed on at the boardwalk and walk around with that, man. Wear it proud. Anyway, Kevin is especially obsessed with the idea that old man Marley is imprisoning and mummifying his victims. Mm, little weird. Little weird that you're, you're fixated on that, buddy. Uh, okay, so then in Home Alone 1... Kevin finds that all of the cheese pizza has been eaten, with Buzz teasing him about it. Kevin absolutely snaps. This motherfucker goes apeshit, lets out a deep, guttural scream like he's in a metal band, and attacks Buzz, bringing him to the ground. I mean, it is absolutely insane. I want to just point out, too, Kevin is this, like, little lanky kid. Probably, like, what, nine or so? He takes down Buzz who is clearly old enough to enjoy Playboy, as we find out later in the movie. So he's he's older. He's a lot older. And Kevin just takes him down with ease, man. I don't know. That That's that's worrying. That's really worrying. Kevin then later orders a cheese pizza when he, you know, he's on his own. And it's that, it's that classic scene where he uses dialogue from a violent movie, which, by the way, fun fact, just a little aside, the movie that he's using... And Home Alone 1 and 2 to splice together basically quips and phrases to deter anybody from coming in or whatever. That movie's not real. That is not a real movie at all. I thought for years that this was some actual movie and like I kind of half-assed like looked for it. I'm like, oh, what, what movie is that, that uh, that's in the Home Alone universe? What movie is that? It's not real. Not a real movie. Made for Home Alone. So, fun fact for you. So, the keep the change, your filthy animal and all that, made for the movie. So, anyway, he orders this cheese pizza. He uses the dialogue from this make-believe movie to threaten the pizza boy with death. Because that's what normal kids do. They threaten pizza boys with death. With shooting them and pumping them full of lead. That's normal. That's, that's real normal. Poor guy really thinks he's going to get shot. He really thinks he's about to end up like a piece of Swiss cheese. Like, he, this man's gonna be holy. Holier than thou. So after the pizza boy flees, Kevin creepily says, you know, it, it, oh, it's, so, it's so creepy. A lovely cheese pizza just for me. 
He doesn't say it like that. But he, he is kind of creepy about it. It's a little weird. But boy, is he happy. He's happy that he threatened a, a teenager that he's going to shoot him. And uh, he's happy he's got his pizza. So good for him. He's not a psycho. In Home Alone 2, Kevin then records a video of his Uncle Frank in the shower, which... Skirt, hold up, let's go back. So this is what I was talking about, the voyeuristic thing, and just this whole, like, recording video, and and it just, it's really concerning. It's really weird, because this is a kid, and he recorded his uncle in the shower. Now, granted, he's not recording his uncle nude. Keep in mind, this is also, like, a PG movie, so it wouldn't show that anyway. But the fact that he's just recording this man without permission really creepy man he just thinks he can do whatever so he uses that recording later to scare the hell out of the hotel employees in the second movie which wow bravo you haven't done that already with the pizza boy mm. uh let's move on so then there's kevin's frequent realistic visual and auditory hallucinations for example the furnace in the basement becoming a fiery metal monster which i mean if anybody hasn't used that metal furnace when it lights up with flame and looks all, like, badass, if, if nobody's used that as a metal cover, like a, a cover for a metal album, you're leaving an opportunity on the floor. This possible psychosis would be important in creating the Jigsaw Killer. Let's get into trap similarities. So, we've already mentioned the metal-mouthed furnace. So stick with me here. Stick with me here for these traps, okay? So what if that metal mouth furnace is some kind of equal part to the head device worn by Amanda in the first Saw movie? There's some similarities. Looks a little weird. Uh, then let's also go to the basement. In Saw 2, there is an antidote to a poison inside, yet again, surprise, a furnace, uh, luring the victim inside. When the victim is inside, they're trapped and burned alive. So it's kind of as if this is some twisted recreation of Kevin's childhood basement. Most of Kevin's home defense traps are triggered by the victim, much like Jigsaw's. Fire has been a big focus since the beginning. So let's go ahead and do a little bit of a breakdown here of some more comparisons then with these traps. We have Harry's hand being burned when he grabbed the hot doorknob. We have a blowtorch trap triggered when Harry opens the door, scorching him. And then let's, you know, bring Jigsaw into this. Jigsaw uses a flammable jelly combining a basement element, fire element, and then a walking on glass element, which Kevin uses broken ornaments in his situation. In Saw 2, there's an electrified staircase with blades slashing the legs of SWAT team officers attempting to arrest him. A similar early version would be Kevin coating basement stairs with tar and nails, leading Marv to impale his foot. I mean, this kid's freaking twisted. Like I said, take away the time aspect of, you know, how could these two characters be the same people, etc., etc. Take away that, and this is freaking concerning. Kevin McAllister is a serial killer in the making. Or if you ask Jigsaw, not a serial killer, just a guy trying to help people realize that they should really value their life. Because what screams serial killer more than justifying your actions? Anyway, one more thing then to get into about some similarities between the two are the physical attributes. 
So we have the blonde hair that they both have. We have the blue eyes they both have. We have the pale skin. We have a similar jawline. Whichever way you slice it, they look the same. Now this could either be because that's just a coincidence. It could be that in the headcanon you're giving yourself, yes, they, they are one and the same. They are the same people. Or, or, here's the big one. This has all been leading up to a Saw reboot where Macaulay Culkin plays as Jigsaw. Mind blown. Mind blown. Maybe he's secretly in the Saw movie that Chris Rock was involved in that was supposed to come out in 2020 that who knows what the heck's going to happen with that thanks to uh, COVID. Eh, it's a real shame. I really wanted to see that movie. I think it was called Spiral. Um, so anyway, that's just a really fun theory that I, I always loved. I always love coming across. Uh, it always made me laugh. I think it's absolutely bonkers. It's it's fun. It's ridiculous. And also makes you realize when you watch the Home Alone movies that, holy crap, Kevin McAllister is possibly psychotic. If you like what you heard in this podcast and you want to support the show and hear more, feel free to follow us on Twitter under the name the underscore strange underscore pod as well as Facebook under The Strange Collective Podcast, and as well as Patreon under The Strange Collective. All of this will be linked below in the description. Also, the Patreon, I mean, don't feel any pressure. You know, it's just a way for people to support the show financially if you can. If you can't, totally cool. There's three different tiers as of right now. It's the first time I've ever built a Patreon page or anything like that. There's five, a 10, and a $20 tier. Like I said, don't feel obligated to support. It would be greatly appreciated. And in any funds raised from that will definitely go back into the podcast, whether that be with recording equipment or even just computing equipment, things of that nature. I am going to be offering bonus episodes. So for example, the bonus episode right now is going to be all about the Pokemon Black cursed cartridge so to speak or the pokemon creepy black cartridge kind of going along with the theme of the pokemon story we just talked about in this podcast so if you like that idea if you like the sound of that episode again feel free to subscribe to the patreon at the five dollar tier and that'll get you the bonus episode and any other bonus episodes in the future also, just so you guys know, this will be a bi-weekly podcast. I'm aiming to have releases every other Tuesday on all major podcast platforms. If you have any suggestions or any ideas, feel free to reach out through the social media that I mentioned previously. I greatly appreciate it. 